So I think we have to be strategic. We have to be sophisticated. We have to be egoless in that way and understand what our political goals are and work within the system that exists. That is my feeling about it. And there's a lot of folks feeling about it. Put your political will behind the framework that already exists. Because if you put enough pressure on that party that you have, yes, a lot of frustrations with, you can get things done within that framework. And I think there's a lot of folks who just, it feels better to throw up your hands and to say, as a lot of people want to comment, they're two wings of the same bird. Oh, these people are all in bed together. And yes, all of them are bought out by way too many corporate interests. That's a, that's another issue entirely. But in terms of just the on the ground work, you know, are they really fighting for our best interest? Who is most likely, who are you most likely to be able to get an audience with, to have a conversation with? Who are the people that are pushing the priorities that we are most aligned with? You know what party that is. Okay. Hello, this is I'm All Over the Place with Dara Star Tucker. I'm so glad to be back with you. I'm glad to be joined by my co-host. Greg Bryant. Greg Bryant. We are back in effect after some deviations and, mm-hmm. and trying out some different formats That's and some all right. different co-hosts. It is your podcast. And guests. You are all over the place. <laughs> That's what makes it. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm I appreciate proud of that. You. I appreciate that. Tell them where they can find you if they're new here. You can find me at Dara Star Tucker on most social media platforms. Dara with one R, Star with two. On Instagram, I'm Dara Tucker B. And now on the new platform, Threads, I am also Dara Tucker B because that's connected to Instagram. So, Absolutely. Yeah, we've hit some important milestones on all the platforms lately. Uh-huh. I'm, I, I'm a numbers person, so I like my nice round numbers. So we're at 50 grand on Facebook, 10,000 folks on the new Threads, 75,000 on Instagram, and getting ready to cross a million on TikTok. Yay! Maybe by the by the time this airs, we may finally be at a million on TikTok. Right. And I say we because I want to thank all of you for being uh, tremendous supporters and uh, following me along in this journey and um, giving me lots of um, reasons to kind of scrap it up online and um, you know just put some interesting content out there and always knowing that there's going to be somebody there who's receptive and willing to listen and you know willing to join in the conversation. And then uh, two more quick things before I forget. Um, you are also on Patreon. There's those that reach out. Hey, we want to support you tangibly. They can go to Patreon and yes, Patreon.com forward slash Dara Star Tucker. And then there's other ways to to donate in the the bio on Instagram and, and Threads and TikTok. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then since we have been before you all, new music has come out from this special lady. Yes, a um, brand new album, self-titled mm-hmm. album called Dara Star Tucker. We'll talk more about that at the end, but there are some chances that you can come out and hear Dara live do exactly what she does. Some choice opportunities, some very special ones coming yeah. up. We've done a couple of shows in support of the album already. We did Tulsa, we did Nashville, we did Philly. We had sold out crowds at all or, or most of those shows. And then mm-hmm. we've got New York coming up on the 11th of September. Dizzy's and Dizzy's and in Lincoln New York, Center. and then we have uh, DC Blues Alley in DC coming up on the fifteenth of October. Right. So if you are in New York or close to the area, or have family or friends who are in New York, come out to see us and get your tickets early because we, we need to know what kind of support we That's have right. at these venues. It That's has right. everything to do with whether or not we get asked to come back. So Greg is my bass player, in, ca- in case many of you probably did not know. Mm-hmm. So he will be on these shows with me as well. And I would love to meet you all in person. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. The shows have been going very well. Um, Dara's got some really great music. You can hear it on Spotify, on Apple Music. Very simple. Dara Star Tucker. That's what the record's called. Uh, and if you want to support her, Target, Amazon, Anywhere digital music is sold. Walmart. Walmart, physical copies uh, through the mail, as well as uh, Amazon. I think I mentioned them already. So mm-hmm. lots of ways to support if you want to. We just wanted to make sure we told you about it. Today, our main topic <laughs> is a little bit of a hot take that you did on Instagram and TikTok primarily. Um, what was this video titled exactly? Did you um, have a title? I think I titled it Political Pandering. Okay, okay, okay. For lack of a better title. I think it's it's a little generic, but it gets the point across. Indeed, indeed. Pandering. 
man, that's that's a loaded word uh, these days. A lot of people like to bandy that around. But something rose up in you. I could tell sometimes when you step away from the breakdown, you make these one minute, two minute hot takes. They're very rare. But something has to kind of rile you in your Mm -hmm. spirit for you to speak up and out, even above and beyond off script. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. It was earlier today. And Lord knows, I think I was... You know what? I was watching a video because I watch a ton of YouTube videos, like informational documentary style things, kind of a longer form version of what I do. I watch Mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of thing on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I was watching a video that someone did on the uh, head of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenicist. Mm. And so it was the, you know, YouTube keeps suggesting this video to me. So I finally clicked on it and watched it today. And of course, you know, the person was attempting to frame all of this as, she was a Democrat and here she was, this awful racist person who believed in eugenics mm-hmm. and this whole Planned Parenthood thing is based upon uh, eugenics. And so that kind of yeah, sent me on a tear yeah. and, and got me kind of kind of kind of irritated. Yeah, I can I can see that in the video um, and I understand your points completely. It's something that uh, we as black people and minorities, I will say in a general sense, have to really be considered concerned about because there are people that are vying for our influence, vying for our power. Sometimes we think we don't matter because we are numbers wise under the majority, but we do matter. And a lot of times people are using that very fact um, to undermine the political power that we do have. And I think that was very apparent in your video immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to move on to quickly what was really the main feather ruffler in this video. Um, and it's something that I think is not expressed enough. Well, we, we got to show the video first of all. Well, that's true. Can we stop and that's let's, true. let's take a minute. See, and we've been out you... of practice for a while. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to stop for a minute yeah. and actually let you hear the video in question. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Sounds good. Anytime you hear someone going out of their way to point out that Democrats were insanely racist 150 years ago, all of the warning lights and bells and sirens should be going off in your head because it's almost guaranteed that that person knows that political ideologies shift over time. They know that. They're just counting on you not knowing that. It's very convenient to be able to say, Democrats feel this way and Republicans feel that way when you're ignoring the ideology that's underneath those political labels. What we should really be speaking about is liberal or progressive versus conservative. There's a big difference between an ideology and a political affiliation. Anyone with even a rudimentary understanding of political theory knows this, but they also know that they can use this information to manipulate the masses. The fact of the matter is that white people in the United States of America have always been incredibly racist. Conservatives, liberals, progressives, fringe groups, the majority of white people in the United States of America were racist. It was really only when the civil rights movement came along that these deeply held beliefs and ideologies started to be questioned en masse. And of course, you always had groups and individuals who deviated from these belief systems. You had abolitionists and radicals who did not fall in step with commonly held beliefs. But for the most part, white supremacy has been the ruling ideology among most white people in this country for the majority of its existence. So it's really laughable to hear mostly conservative white folks playing this game around who was and was not racist 100 or 150 years ago. The truth of the matter is, most of them were. And there's still a whole lot of racist folks hiding behind political labels now. We have to be smart enough to look beyond the political labels and recognize the behavior. It's frankly insulting to black people's intelligence to think that you could point to a Democrat from the time of Lincoln and create some equivalency to Democrats now, or for a Republican to lay claim to being the party of Lincoln while enforcing racist policies in 2023. Did you think we wouldn't notice? And this by no means lets the Democratic Party off the hook. We know there are racists there too. But there's a reason that many black folks have shifted to the Democratic Party since the civil rights era, and it's not just manipulation. Just like there's a reason that a bunch of racist white folks suddenly became Republicans around that same time. 
I plan on doing a full breakdown on the party shift in the near future. But in the meantime, can y'all stop insulting black folks' intelligence by trying to convince them that Republicans are somehow racially progressive? Y'all must think we don't have two licks worth of common sense. We as black folks know we have always been under attack by white supremacy, regardless of the party label. But do not try to pull the wool over our eyes with these BS political labels. We know exactly who has been trying to make our lives a living hell since we got here. We saw you then and we see you now. Where's the lie? As the kitties say. Where, where's the lie? No cap, as they also say. So many things to unpack there um, that resonated. The first thing is ideology versus politics, mm-hmm. political leaning versus ideology. Um, why are we as a society blind to the difference in those two facts? Um, I think there's a lack of education, you know, for, in by mm-hmm. and large, at least in the United States, it's it's... I did a live on TikTok today just discussing how one of the things I talked about, one of the many things I talked about was just how, you know, what an embarrassing lack of education there is around history, around politics, around civics in this country. I think a lot of people, you know, get their news from talking heads and, you know, or they get their news from social media. They're just not plugging in to a lot of factual information Mm -hmm. around history or around politics. I think there's just a you know, a dearth of, of good information out there mm-hmm. and real investment in, in the political process, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So people are easily persuadable and, and it, it, we end up just having a, a political atmosphere that is, that is run by spin. It's just about how well you can spin your position. Can I make this appear the way that I want it to make, the, the way that I want it to appear to best benefit me and my political agenda? Yeah, yeah. You know, why would people, in in your opinion, have a problem with you saying that white people in this country, historically, the majority of them have been racist? I think because, and again, I was talking about this earlier today on, on TikTok, our, our news in this country, I think, is just, I mean, it really is, it, they handle their viewers with kid gloves, I think there are a lot of white folks in particular who never really have to hear that, who never really have to hear someone come right out and just say, you know, this is this country has been very deeply racist for a long time. And if you if you say it out loud these days, you're going to get a whole lot of pushback about it from, again, folks who are attempting to put a lot of political spin out there and convince folks that things are you know, not as they actually are. Mm hmm. And so I think people just don't have to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. They, they are being sweet talked mm-hmm. by a bunch of people at, at networks, mostly who have something to gain by making them feel good about themselves mm-hmm. and by telling a particular story and by creating a particular narrative around race. Yeah. So not a whole lot of people just come right out and say, this country has been very, very racist for a long, long time and still has a long way to go you know, to not be that way. I think, you know, it's it's a lot easier to tell people, well, we're doing great and things are so much better and we're post-racial and I have a dream speech and things are so much better and we, you know, yeah. I don't see color and all of this, yeah. you know, all of this, it's, it's, it's meant to sound very benevolent and mm-hmm. very right-minded, mm-hmm. but it's actually very dismissive of what, you know, the issues really are and have been. And really yeah. I was speaking more in a, in a historical way things things up to the civil rights which is what i eventually said yeah things up to the civil rights movement um you know yeah the majority of white people were were absolutely um racist stay with us we'll be right back it's joseph m wanted with the constitutionalist politics tune in for the upcoming episode for may 4 issue never the issue as well as yes Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. 
I think the laws in this country um, are firmly on your side and it's unfortunate, but when you go down the list, um, the abdication of any meaningful reconstruction after the Civil War, um, Jim Crow and black codes, specifically against black people, um, into resistance from the human and civil rights movement, into non-payment, uh, no laws for reparation for black people at all. It's being discussed, but nothing has been done. Uh, and I think also to go a little bit deeper, people may have had a gut reaction towards you saying that, but we have to evaluate as black, white, whatever, the crippling effects of white supremacy that would even make us devalue that common in the first place. Racism is not hatred based only. Racism can happen out of ignorance. Racism can happen because of fear. I think a lot of people that say they don't lean towards hatred in their heart, making them not racist, does not absolve racism. Racism is a systemic oppression of a people. And if you don't resist laws that are against certain people and you don't raise your voice and you don't read anti-racist literature and you don't associate yourselves with other than the majority culture, there is a large chance that you will come out in support in accordance with racism. That's just the facts. It's unfortunate. It hurts, but it's real and it has serious repercussions on generations of people. And no, there's nothing wrong with what you said. Yeah, I, I really didn't get a whole lot of pushback, honestly, from from white folks who had a problem with that statement. There was, you know, maybe one or two people in particular who had something to say, and even the one person that I, I noticed who had who had pushback to that um, said that she would reevaluate it, and I told her to watch it again. I was like, I think you're, you know, you're being defensive, and you need to watch what I said again, because um, no, I didn't say most white people are racist. I said this country has, you know, in in the past has been majority racist, and I I did say that after the civil rights movement, that was a that was something that people started to question. Like, hey, maybe this is not kind of the default mode that, you know, should just be unquestioned. And um, yeah, I think I had more pushback from black folks, honestly, who who were kind of upset at me uh, creating any kind of a delineation between the Republican and Democratic parties. I think that was really more of the, the pushback that I received uh, to that video. Let's let's look at that, though. Also, the fact that a majority culture would manipulate or seek to manipulate based on a political reason, the allegiance of a minority in and of itself is systemic and oppressive because we as human beings, as black people, have enough sense to be able to go where we want to go politically. If we want to splinter off and do our own thing, you know, if we want to align ourselves with the party that will do us the most good, despite its racism, that's our business. But for some for an agenda, as you said, for um, an ideology to take over or seemingly to manipulate us with the okie doke out of our will comes from something other than a need for equality comes from a need for control, mm -hmm. which is, again, racism. So I will say that I don't think that we are worse off than we've ever been, but I think that a majority of this country still is racist. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. It still is. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because we make the equivalency of racism with hate when racism is also ignorance and it is also fear based. And I don't have to say that again, but I think someone is not out there is not evaluating the fact that there can be multiple types of reasons for racism. And we need to take the sting out of that word so we can evaluate it for what it is mm -hmm. and stop being so afraid to say that word and to label it when it needs to be labeled. Mm -hmm. It's systemic oppression, period. You can have it. I can have, I can't have it because technically I'm not the majority culture. I can be bigoted and I work to not be bigoted. But bigotry plus 
a majority culture systemic oppression is racism, period. Take the sting out of the word. And if you care about it, then vote for reparations. <laughs> if you care about it, oppose the Supreme Court rescinding affirmative action in higher education. If you care about it, contribute to black businesses in your area, whether you patronize them directly, whether you send them money, you don't need to influence their practices. You need to support them with your capital. That proves that you are doing the work to be anti-racist. But move, move us along. I don't want to get bogged down in that. That's what resonated with me. But there are some other things that you need to unpack about black versus white, yeah, unfortunately. I think, I think what, what really struck a, a nerve in this video with a lot of folks, and that's black folks, is this idea of black people owing their allegiance to the Democratic Party. I think that that irks a lot of people, understandably so. Um, in the video, I tried to provide a bit of a balance between like, hey, do not try to pull the wool over our eyes and convince us that republicanism is somehow and conservatism is somehow associated with uh, progressive views on race. No, historically, <laughs> that is inaccurate. That is not true. And you are depending on people's ignorance to try and perpetuate that lie. And it's been put forth too much these days. And I'm really sad to see how many black people are falling for this. Not a whole lot, because mm -hmm. black folks are generally a pretty dependable voting block for the Democratic Party. But I think a lot of black people are also becoming very discontented with the idea that black folks are a very dependable voting block for the Democratic Party. I think many more folks are feeling this way than ever have before, although black folks' allegiance to the Democratic Party really hasn't shifted that much. I think with um, the orange man's election, I think he garnered a higher percentage of the black vote than probably any Republican in recent history. Um, but still, you know, over 90% of black folks are, are voting Democratic. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of resentment around that. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to really know how to fully comprehensively address. I feel like I did address it in the video. Like, hey, Democrats, we are watching you. No, I do not feel like Democrats should be able to take for granted that they have the support of black people. But we know and have known for years that it's basically the, the lesser of two evils. And that to lend your support, a very strong voting bloc, which is 13% of the, the country, if 90% or more, 95% at times, of Black folks who are 13% of the country are voting for Democrats, that's a very influential voting bloc. Um, do they deserve to have our loyalty to that degree? I don't know. You know, I, I had a conversation with someone in the comments who was basically saying, you know, as I hear a lot, Anytime I bring up the Democratic Party, well, we need to break off and we need to do our own thing. You know, why are we not starting a viable third party and we need to have a, you know, a, a, a viable challenge to the Democrats because they do this and they're do the, they do this and they're this and they're guilty of this and that and that. And you can't deny it. You know, even Joe Biden himself has some very problematic ties, at least in his past. I feel like a lot of, you know, the problematic things that people genuinely have the right to be concerned about with regard to him. He's addressed a lot of it. Some of it he has not, but I feel like, you know, the person that he is today, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable saying that that dude's not extremely problematic when it comes to race relations, but he's got a lot of crap in his past that, you know, just doesn't bode well for him. Mm -hmm. It's just, if somebody wanted to say, I don't want to have anything to do with that dude, simply based on his comments about the jungles, you know, cities becoming jungles. I, what can I say? I can't, I can't dispute or refute anyone who, who says, I don't want to have anything to do, a black person who says, I don't want to have anything to do with him mm -hmm. because his mentor was, I think, mm -hmm. uh, I don't even want to say who it was. It was uh, some avowed racist. I think he spoke at Strom Thurmond's funeral. And, you know, he's 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 real chummy yeah. with a lot of folks that you would really hope that he wouldn't be chummy some, with. Some garbage people. Yeah. For some of it for- And Bill Clinton was too, yeah, frankly. Yeah, exactly. And Hillary. I want to ask the hard question here. Say I am disenfranchised. Say I do accurately have a point to pick with being um, political booty. Um, how can I leverage myself as a black voter 
who is dissatisfied with the Democratic Party, but knows the real evil of the ideology of toxic conservatism with the Republicans. What can I do to make sure that I am not taken advantage of and that I am not seen as just in the pocket of a Democrat? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think we need to probably take ego out of the equation, first of all. So I don't think it really matters if we are seen as being in the pocket of anybody. We have to, we have to determine what our best interests are and learn to consistently work towards um, bringing about that result. Um, and so who, who cares if we're seen as being in the, because Christians don't care if they're seen as being in the pocket of Republicans. They really don't care. They knew that they wanted to take down, I'm talking like I, this, these aren't my people or haven't been my people. They knew that they wanted to take down Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. Evangelicals, so, Christian evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Knew that their goal was to take down Roe v. Wade. And so they pledged their allegiance to the party that they needed to pledge their allegiance to. And they did not care who provided a criticism or who is still providing criticism around the fact that they are supporting a party that put forth a presidential candidate, you know, that was thrice divorced, was not a churchgoer, had absolutely no religious belief as far as we know, other than what he needed to position himself to have in order to pander to them. They didn't really care. Mm -hmm. They just put their support behind the party that was most aligned with their goals. So I think we have to be strategic. We have to be sophisticated. We have to be egoless in that way and understand what our political goals are and work within the system that exists. That is my feeling about it. And there's a lot of folks feeling about it. Put your political will behind the framework that already exists. Because if you put enough pressure on that party that you have, yes, a lot of frustrations with, you can get things done within that framework. And I think there's a lot of folks who just, it feels better to throw up your hands and to say, as a lot of people want to comment, they're two wings of the same bird. Oh, these people are all in bed together. And yes, all of them are bought out by way too many corporate interests. That's, a, that's another issue entirely. But in terms of just the on the ground work, you know, are they really fighting for our best interest? Who is most likely, who are you most likely to be able to get an audience with, to have a conversation with? Who are the people that are pushing the priorities that we are most aligned with? You know what party that is. Okay, but I have something else to bring forward. It's an A-B question. A, do you think we need a state of the black agenda? And then... Um, state of the black, whatever agenda. And then number two, do you think it takes a certain type of black person? We've seen Ice Cube try, we've seen Tavis Smiley try, but no one is listening. Um, and I'll just go ahead and interrupt it. I think we do as black people need a black agenda that we put forward and say, you will do this because we matter to, to you to this degree. But do we need a certain type of person to put forward that agenda that these folks can hear, understand, and know that they will be repercussions if they don't cave to this demand. I mean, is there more organization that's needed? Obviously, yes. I mean, the Congressional Black Caucus exists for the very reason that you're, you're speaking of. Basically having some unified voice, some unified set of principles and goals that it's their job to kind of put forth and, you know, create an even stronger. Right. Um, but the Republican front. Party right now is driven by a personality, not by, you know, a pack or what you're saying. The orange man won. His personality was enough. You're saying that the Democratic system as it is, the party as it is, is not personality driven to the degree we are common enough or uh, systemic enough that we still work within these frameworks of groups. There is not an individual or individuals that matter to the agree to be taken seriously. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that. Who knows? Somebody could pop up, uh, you know, tomorrow that fits that bill. But I don't. I don't think that the that the goal really is necessarily is necessarily to be able to coalesce around a you know a cult of personality. Mm -hmm. I don't. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of put that forth, like they want, we need some alternate version of the orange person, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want that. And I don't think a lot of people who, who lean towards the left really want 
the same thing that's happening on the right, but we just got to have our own version of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. I think you have many more. I will just say, frankly, you have many more critical thinkers. You have many more people who understand political nuance. You just, there's a different dynamic. So I think a lot of people assume that what we need is a strong man on the left to counter the strong man or the, some of, some of the kind of blowhard um, tactics on the, right. on the right. And I, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you, okay. what you have is a much more nuanced uh, coalition of more, many more critical thinkers, much more, a much more thoughtful approach than what is happening on the toxic right. And I harp on the toxic right because I theoretically do not have a problem with conservatism in general, uh, if it means smaller government, if it means lower taxes and you know more more less de- more decentralization, um, and and these kind of classic principles of conservatism, but that's not really what we're dealing with, right? Um, we're dealing on with the right, KKK. So yeah, we're dealing with uh, neo Nazis. We're, we're dealing right alongside, we're, yeah, with we're dealing evangelical with, yeah, we're dealing with a lot of folks who don't really have a whole lot of respect for the democratic process, frankly who are really looking for a more authoritarian and dic- dictatorial uh, kind of framework. And no, mm-hmm. I don't think we need that on the left. Or we just, we need a, you know more of a totalitarian dictatorship on the left versus on the right. No, I think we, we need to continue to push for uh, respect for, for democracy, which I, I feel like is really, it's, it's at stake mm-hmm. for the first time, truly for the first time in, in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So- um, no, I don't think we need to be emulating strategies of, you know, let's let's find an exalted leader, you know, to raise mm-hmm. up and, and to um, mm-hmm. basically pull the rug out from under democracy. Yeah. No, I don't think that that's that's the ultimate yeah, goal. I, I don't I don't either. But I think there is a visceral thing that's lost that that a lot of people are searching for, hunting for. They've been hurt so much mm-hmm. over the last, you know, six, six, seven years, what have you, maybe even more that we don't scan, stand to gain back. There's no catharsis after all that. You know, we went through a pretty hellish period and then put a pandemic on top of it. Mm-hmm. People are looking for a catharsis. People are looking for uh, a got you back. You know, people are looking for a sense of uh, empowerment that doesn't necessarily come from slow but steady. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is what has worked historically in our country. Fortunately and unfortunately, because a lot of good people have fallen um, by the wayside and been claimed in the midst of these changes that you're talking about. And I think you're exactly right. The way that the government is, is set up, we've got to change the laws. But I believe that we need a black agenda that is taken seriously and that includes things like anti-racism in it. And to do that, the country is going to have to look anew at what it is providing, specifically black people. I want you to also touch on the impetus that may be behind um, this take is your series of videos on toxic conservatism, which this fits right into the neighborhood of. But you've done a video specifically on uh, freeway flags mm-hmm. that uh, have a lot of attention um, and eventually you're going into, you know, speaking about the evolution of that conservatism that you were talking about. It's different than just states rights and localized government. There's something else at play here that starts basically with the religious rights need to control uh, the desegregation of schools. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've done videos on that, just how the entire um, progression of this kind of politically active religious right 
has has kind of evolved. Um, yeah, and I did a video on states' rights recently as well. I did a video on on conservative, I'm sorry, uh, Confederate flags off of the freeway, and then did a video on kind of what is the, what's the whole deal with states' rights and why has this become kind of a dirty term. Um, but yeah, that's my my desire is to really over the next year kind of flesh all of this out. You know, as we're entering the political season, I think it's really important for people to be as well informed as possible. And I've had the chance to speak out in, in this last election year quite a bit on different issues that I was passionate about. And I think, you know, again, I just think we're, we're lacking in a lot of, of, of knowledge and, and scholarship around this issue to the point where a lot of folks are just easily manipulated. And I hate to see it happening within the black community. That I hate to see. I don't like to see anyone being deceived, but I don't like to see black folks particularly who are, you know, legitimately um, flummoxed, they're, fl they're flustered, they're frustrated, you know, about the, the state of, of the United States of America. And they, and they know that, that the U.S. has not done right by black people. They know that. And so then they just, whoever can find you in that frustration mm. is probably going to have, is, is going to have your ear, especially if you're the type that, that tends to want to be contrary. You want to go contrary to where the rest of the crowd is going. You know, you just have that contrarian thing in you. And you're like, well, if too many people are going this way and I got to go, I got to go this other way. And there's a lack of political sophistication. So I think that, you know, that a lot of this, this toxic, uh, conservatism, these folks have figured out a way to to get an in with a certain segment of the black population and to be able to reach out and say, hey, you know, like the little like the the big bad wolf, you know, to Goldilocks or whatever. Hey, are you you know, you're 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 lost on your way to your grandmother's house, mm. you know, little girl. Wow. I can offer you this, you know, come over here and you're you know, you have beautiful hair and, you know, it's kind of sit down and just talk and have a conversation. And I feel like a lot of folks are just being picked off in that way. Mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the, the Democratic Party is necessarily some haven. Right. Um, but I, you know, I thought about doing a sketch where it was like, you know, a, a lot of these folks who feel like they need to jump ship and, and take the, the Republican Party more seriously. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're going to show them that they can't put us in the frying pan. Come on, everybody. Join me in the fire. Mm. You know, mm. yeah, how, how dare you put us in the in the frying pan? That's let's let's find a, you know, a place that makes a little bit more sense. And let's let's hang out over here in the fire. Like, no, we got to be a little bit smarter than that, um, because yeah. I feel like the you know, this this toxic conservatism is getting smarter. They have they have adjusted their message yeah. um, for a new generation. They have adjusted their message for a new era. And it's pretty impressive when you really look at it. I mean, you look at 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 online outlets like PragerU. If you know mm -hmm. what this is, this is a a YouTube page that they call themselves a university, but it's that's hardly what it is. It resembles a university only in the sense that there are there's uh, information being shared. I guess so. In mm -hmm. the loosest sense, I'm a university as well because I share information. <laughs> apparently, anybody who 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 talks about stuff. Uh, um, can call themselves a university, but it's basically a propaganda channel for uh, right-wing politics. And what they love to do is they love to get black folks to speak out about issues that pertain to black people. So they'll oh, get folks okay. like Candace Owens and okay. uh, this the uh, what's the black woman's name? She ran for mayor in Nashville, and she she did an abysmal job speaking to a group. We had been invited to um, be a part of a I remember what was it called a little panel or something. Yeah that of, of a bunch of Mayoral people who were, yes, who were running for mayor in Nashville when we lived mm -hmm. in Nashville. And she was one of the, this lady that they have on PragerU, she was one of the mayoral candidates in mm -hmm. Nashville. And she was so hostile. Mm -hmm. It was a group of, of creative people, musicians yeah. and artists and things. And, mm -hmm. and they were asking questions, you know. And I think it was right around the time when they were going to start this panel to basically have oversight of the police because there had been an, an issue of police abuse or something like mm -hmm. that that had happened. And mm -hmm. she didn't feel like the police needed any kind of oversight at all. And yeah. she, I mean, she started talking down to this group of, of black well, creative people. I was just like, woman, you, you're just not what, even smart. What you raised though is an interesting issue and something that I am being um, acquainted with, uh, political capital and political currency as it relates to individuals um, and just getting this information today 
that the Reverend Jesse Jackson is stepping down. He's retiring today uh, from the um, Operation um, Push and the Rainbow Coalition uh, chair. But there was an era where, yes, the political capital and political currency um, superseded, though shallowly, capitalism and funding. But now what you have is basically folks chasing the dollar and they're willing to say anything as long as the money flows. So we have people who may not even believe 100% in what they're saying Mm -hmm. and definitely do not arrive into the political discourse with any kind of political capital, any kind of political currency. But the currency currency is allowing them now to have a voice. Yeah, there's there's so much money. You know, I, I was reading a, an article in the New York Times the other day about the the Koch brothers who were two. One of them's passed away now, but one of them's very much alive. And they're two billionaires who basically fund, you know, a lot of the um, the ecosystem around just right wing politics. A lot of the talking heads that you see that are independent um, get their money from the Koch brothers and a lot of uh, political action committees receive a lot of funding from from this mm. uh, this group. Mm. And uh, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much money is flowing through that world and how many of these, these talking heads and these commentators, um, like this woman, I think her name is Carol, something that I was trying to remember the name of, and Candace Owens and, you know, even the Ben Shapiros and these mm. types of people, people do not realize how much these folks are being paid to push these specific agendas and narratives. Say, say it one more time. Somebody didn't didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize how much a lot of these these right wing commentators are being paid to hold the positions that they hold and to put this messaging out there. It is a very moneyed world. Mm-hmm. People do not realize it, but you know, there's money flowing to to all sides. I will guarantee you that. But I feel like there is there is a different dynamic that is happening on the left versus the right. There are def- definitely mouthpieces that are being paid on the left to talk about the issues from, you know, just a very straightforward standpoint. But there are voices on the right who are very specifically, you know, being sought after, you know, a Jewish person like Ben Shapiro, black people like Candace Owens and Larry Elder and Thomas Sowell, who are being sought after to deliver a very specific message for this, for the purpose of validating points of view that they need validated by the black community. You know, they know that if they can start to make an inroads in the black community and start to to pilfer off some of that vote, which you know they've been mildly successful at at different points, mm-hmm. but if they can really make some inroads in the black community, that's you know that's that's cutting Democrats off at the knees. Democrats need black people. That's right. They need that's right. that that voting block, and Republicans yeah. understand that if they can just put the right messaging out there, you know, get just the right. It was it was so interesting last year and that was a, it was an election year. Last year uh during the election season, every other day I was seeing messages about what Kanye was doing and what Kanye was up to. It was constant. I'm like, "Why is this dude in my feed all the time? Why are there mm-hmm. constant stories about him in the media every time I turn around?" He's unsaid something crazy. He's showing up somewhere wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt, being disruptive, saying some dumb crap. And immediately when the election happened, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but when the election was over, he was, he was over. gone. It wasn't that, Con- I mean, I'm sure Kanye is still doing what Kanye's doing, but we weren't hearing about it anymore. All of a sudden, I'm like, where did Kanye go? Right. It is a very deliberate effort to put out specific messaging and to cause these disruptions and, as you say, distractions um, in the in you know in the in the political sphere. It's mm-hmm. very intentional, mm-hmm. and we kind of have to be aware mm-hmm. of all of the knob turning that is going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And I will just, for full disclosure. And the reason I know something about this is that I was I was working with a political action committee last year um, to talk about some issues that were important to me. I would never 
you know, work with an organization to talk about things that I didn't believe in very, very strongly. Nobody ever told me what to say. Mm-hmm. Every video that I put out um, had, you know, was messaging that I believed in. Mm-hmm. But I know and scripts that you wrote. Yes, I wrote every word of what I said. But I know that these people are out here and going, hey, who can we get? Who are the public voices? Mm-hmm. Who are the mouthpieces? Yeah. Who are the folks that like to talk about stuff? Yeah. Um, and I'll do some of that work in the future. But again, I would never put messaging out there that I didn't fully 100 uh, percent believe in. Mm. But they know, you know, there's some outreach that needs to happen within mm. the black community, mm. within, within the Jewish community. These people know that they got a lot of work to do to try to convince us that they're on our side. And so half of these folks that are out here yapping about you know, this crap, half of them do not, I, I do not believe for one minute that half of them, at least that they believed that when they began, but to throw more and more money at them, you know, can, they start can dancing for chicken. Yeah. And you can take that out if you need to. And yeah, Candace Owens is a multimillionaire. Make, the, make no, bo- the, no, no doubt about it. And if you will allow me the, the, the subtitle for this episode, or maybe the main one, don't believe the hype. That's a public enemy song from the eighties. Um, shout out to Harry Allen, who actually had Dara on um, his podcast. But that's really where it is. That's the, you know, 35 years later, that message is resounding in my ears as an adult. Don't believe the hype. They are people that are trying to distract you, get you off course, get you not to believe what is really um, at stake and that is the message in your post today, essentially, you know, this pandering situation, you know, stops here as long as you know that it's hype, that it's not sincere, it's not real. And yeah, it's coming at you from both sides, but it is, uh, it behooves you as a person who is a critical thinker to understand that if there is no revolution and we are forced to work within the system that we have, then we need to find the people that represent our interests and we need to put our interests forth to those people with the maximum result. You will not get, pardon me, white Republicans in the KKK to give you reparations. Make sense of that. So if you are flirting with the Republican Party as a means to put your political agenda forward, I don't agree with that. I said that. I'm the co-host here, not the host, but I don't think she agrees with it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is not an endorsement of, of, of the Democratic Party, but this is an endorsement with people who have the most culpability, but even further than that, have the ear and the heart to at least hear what it is that is important to our agenda as human beings and then as black people in this country. And unfortunately, we do not have the numbers right now to do it on our own. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Uh, we never will have the numbers to do it on our own. Black people will probably, if we haven't and uh, I don't exceeded feel, any more than 13% of the population but, but at this he, point, then but, we never will. But even with uh, a brother man that was the president, our, our, our 44th president, I don't believe that this country is healthy enough and it's proving every day that it's not. That if black people were to make a political party and say, hey, liberal people, join us in this effort. Unfortunately, there is enough racism to prohibit that action from becoming a viable alternative, in my opinion. I can be wrong. You can play this tape when I'm 75 and it happens and I will admit defeat. But right now, the way that it is, unfortunately, we are in a system and we have to work within the system to get what it is that we want. And that does not come from aligning with Republicans. 
Well, yeah, that's that's basic stuff. I think most people, honestly, I think most people who are wanting to throw out the two-party system um, really aren't getting a whole lot done anyway. I mean, I've started to kind of roll my eyes a bit, I have to say, at people who who talk about wanting to throw out throw out the, the two-party system um, because a lot of those folks aren't really doing a whole lot. It's really, it's, it's, it's kind of an, an, an ego move in my opinion, and it can be very self-serving. Um, the criticism with the Green Party, for instance, is that they really are not about true political activism or action. They roll out a presidential candidate once every four years, but they're not working with local on the ground politics at all. They aren't running local uh, candidates all they care about is the presidential election. And they are always there just to provide a foil to pilfer off votes from Democratic candidates. That's all they ever end up doing. And they never win. And they're not serious. They're unserious, you know, as Logan Roy would say. They're not serious people. And I think a lot of these folks who, um, you know, preach anti-two-party movements are not, they're not the people working on the ground. They're not the Stacey Abrams types who are doing true political activism and, and organization and who are actually accomplishing anything, you know, and yelling about creating more parties. Um, they're not, they're not accomplishing much at all. They're, they're just yelling, they're, they're spitting in the wind and it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like, you know, they are aligned with people like Malcolm X and, you know, revolutionaries that, you know, they can get behind. But those aren't really the people making change in this world. They really aren't. I think the folks who are really actively working, like I said, the Stacey Abrams types, um, they understand how to work within the system. And for at least for right now, that is that's the most viable option that we have. I think those are those are the doers and those are the people that we need to be listening to at this time. I really like that guy. I, don't, I think his name might be Gary Chambers. Yeah. He was running for Louisiana, a Senate. senator, yeah, senate in Louisiana. Folks like that, honestly, if you don't follow Gary Chambers online, he's a real, just a smart, he's a black dude. He's a real smart guy and was giving, um, I think the dude's name is John Kennedy, his opponent, a uh, real racist uh, Southern white dude mm -hmm. who said, if you don't, you didn't like the cops, then you're, the next time you're in trouble, why don't you call a crackhead? That was what his opponent said. That was, that was the uh, commercial that had everybody just cracking up this last political season. But Gary Chambers, you know, a smart guy, organizer, understands how to work within the system. I just, you know, the more people I see like that that pop up, the more faith I have in this republic, the more faith that I have that we're actually making advancements, you know, that but folks just need to vote for him, you know? But both of those folks, ironically enough, lost their races this last time. Mm -hmm. um, but they exist and they're out there and I hope that they'll, they will be utilized in the future. I really do. Cause that's, you know, that's the way forward in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, don't believe the hype. So uh, let's switch gears now and go into the music. You got a new record, Dara Star Tucker, which we alluded to at the beginning. Um, but in this transition, let's hear a little piece from the record, if we can, maybe one of the uh, songs that you've been doing for a long time, but decided to document on this record, your rendition of uh, the spiritual, just a closer walk with thee that you can find on the album, Dara Star Tucker.
I want to move forward into um, the developments that have been happening since, and we alluded to them at the top here. Uh, Dara has released a new album. Congratulations. Dara Star Tucker. That's what it's called. That's what she titled it. Uh, in an effort to um, let you guys know who have probably followed her, the majority of you in the last two and a half years, uh, her main vocation is actually as a songwriter and vocalist. Um, I will let you know that she co-wrote uh, the title song to Oklahoma with Keb Moe in 2020 uh, that won the Grammy for his Best Americana album at the Grammys that year. So um, she's an accomplished songwriter. Uh, she has uh, six studio albums to her credit. And this one is an attempt, as she will explain, um, to draw in the multifaceted nature of what she does, uh, marrying the audiences for her music and her uh, social commentary that extends beyond music to, you know, race, film, um, what have you. What was the most enjoying thing, Dara, about making this record? Because you've been down this road several times. Um, I don't know. Enjoyable. The most enjoyable thing, I guess, just the fact this the fact of it, just knowing that it was it was time to get back into a musical space, you know, from doing tons of social commentary over the last few years. We were fortunate to be able to make a, an album um, during the pandemic. And a lot of people, their whole music career just went on hiatus during the pandemic. So I'm fortunate that we were able to to keep you know putting stuff out there. Um, so this album, I think the, the the best thing about it is probably just getting to include more of my original music on it and um, just put forth that statement because I'm, I always am a writer before anything else. I'm a writer before I am a singer. I'm a writer before I'm, I'm anything. And I'm a storyteller. That's really what it is. And that, you know, it's essentially what I do online is, mm -hmm. is I tell stories. And so I hope that people find a kind of a confluence between these two worlds. I hope that they, they, experience a little bit of that uh, continuity between what I do online and what I do musically. I hope they feel that like, hey, you're and I've heard people say that before, like you're, you're you know, who you are, it comes through regardless of of where we are experiencing, you know, your work. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Um, and being indie is, is interesting. Um, you're working with a label now, a Green mm -hmm. Hill Music, shout out to Green Hill Music. Um, but still, you know, you're responsible for a lot of um, the advertising and the marketing that goes into these albums. Um, you know, are, are you finding that being back on the road in these you know, shows that you've been able to do uh, that people um, are coming out based off of your uh, social media um, solicitation? And as you share this information with people, are you seeing folks turn up at your shows that were not? in your audience before um, now? Yeah, here and there. I, I have to admit, I would expect it to be a higher percentage of people that were coming out because of social media. There was, you know, we did a Philadelphia show a few weeks ago. There were probably, I would guess, about 15 or 20 people that came out from social media, which is cool. Mm -hmm. That's that's better than it would have been a yeah. couple of years hey, ago. Hey, still sold out that show. Yeah, but you know, I, I would hope that the percentages would be higher. And so with this New York show that we have coming up, we have a New York show on the 11th of September. We have a DC show at Blues Alley on the 15th of, no of October, uh, possibly something in Atlanta in November. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm hoping we have enough lead time where I can just, at the end of every video, I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna be in New York. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be in DC. Hopefully I will be able to get the word out to the degree. I saw one lady in the comments today said, hey, I got my tickets hey, to DC. Hey, thank you, thank you. Um, hopefully I'll be able to get the word out with enough regularity because these social media platforms will suppress your, your content around music. If you're promoting anything or just doing music, you're not doing the thing you blew Why up for. That? It's just, you know, it's the algorithm. They want people to stay on as long as possible. So if you blew up doing, you know, my big video was Aunt Jemima. That was the one that did, mm -hmm. you know, big numbers. So. Anything in that style is going to be prioritized. Um, sometimes my comedy stuff will, will do, mm -hmm, you know, a couple, hundred, yeah, a couple mm -hmm. hundred thousand views or something like that. Yeah. But with music, generally, it just, you know, a, a few thousand people will see it. Mm -hmm. So trying to get the word out about the music has been a challenge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you said, Philly show sold out, Nashville sold out, mm -hmm. Tulsa nearly sold out. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're doing fairly well. We have been up till now. But these yeah. have all been kind of hometown shows. Yeah. 
even though we don't know anybody in Philly. But, you know, New York and D.C., it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, you know, who we can draw, who comes, who's out. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, you have family and friends who are in the area, if you are in the area, New York, D.C., um, and even possibly Atlanta, likely Atlanta, Mm -hmm. get your tickets early. You know, these venues want to know, like, hey, we don't really know who you are. And we want to know if this social media following is going to translate, you know, to actual butts and seats. That's all Mm -hmm. they care about. And that's all the booking agents care about. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's Blackwell behind us, a little cameo appearance by Mm -hmm. our cat, um, who's just going to stay in the shot. (laughs) Um, You know, they want to, booking agents, they want to know. They want to know that you can already draw. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't they don't want the upstarts and up and coming folks. And so, you know, it's been a challenge to to work on parlaying this online audience into mm-hmm. something that's meaningful. Yeah. And so we'll see. You know, it's a story mm-hmm. that's still being written. So I would love to see any and all of you who are in the area, if you have family or friends, if I would love to meet you. You know, it's the biggest thrill for me for people to let me know that they are familiar with my work on social media and that's why they came out to hear the music. That is just a, that's a beautiful, you know, confluence or or marriage of, I keep using this word marriage in a non um, matrimonial sense. I think because my sister just told me she hates that when people Mm. do that. But anyway, it's the perfect marriage, (laughs) perfect wedding of all the things that I really love, which is doing online commentary, mm-hmm. uh, communicating with with folks who are interested in that work and then doing music. So for all of those things to come together, it's just that gives me the biggest thrill. So I've never asked you this before, but take me through like your mental process. It's totally different than doing the breakdown videos or hot takes. When you hear your name, Dara Star Tucker, by whoever has introduced you, Walk me through what is going on in your mind as you're leaving the backstage, coming onto the stage and readying yourself for whatever this first song is. Oh, interesting. I It's like, you know, that feeling of being in, you know, a big holding room or something before you take one of those like midterm or final exams in school. And you're, you're all just in like the bullpen or whatever and just waiting to like, show, you know, show them what you remember, you know, you just like, I've crammed for this. I've studied for this. I don't know what's going to be on this test, but I feel like I'm probably ready to do this. So let me just go test my metal. Let me just go see if I have what it feels like I have for this moment. (laughs) That's, that's more what it is. Just like, you know, the boxer kind of standing around and, you know, Uh with, with the music maybe blaring and just, you just this nervous energy, this excitement, and you're just ready to hopefully you're prepared and ready to go get them, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. And then some people contrast it. Is it the conversation with the band or is it a conversation musically with you and the audience? Which one is it? Are you, you know, audience to performer or is it are we the ones having the conversation and the audience is eavesdropping on? <laughs> how does how does it work? Yeah, I think you. it works. I think it it's I don't know. I guess it's both. That's my first instinct is just to to bunt it and say that it's both. But I think you know it's a really interesting thing for an audience when they when they feel that it's just a conversation between the band and they're just eavesdropping and they're getting to sit in and observe something that maybe they shouldn't even be a part of or you know, it wouldn't even matter if they were there or not, but like, Hey, we get to witness this thing that's happening, Mm -hmm. you know, between musicians when they are in their, their, their true, you know, peak state or creative state. Mm -hmm. That's the place that I, I hope to get. I feel like I've, I've started to explore that space a little more often. Just like, Hey, I know you're there, but there's something happening up here that is really about it's, it's, it's its own thing. Mm -hmm. And, And you all can have a, you know, a front row seat to an experience that's happening. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's really more of a, a spiritual territory when that yeah. happens. Yeah, oh man, you know? well said, yeah. well said. Um, what kind of audience do you prefer? Um, I know online you appreciate it when people say, oh man, this was great, or I didn't understand this, or thoughtfully I disagree, or you're the best thing ever. You get real time, um, sometimes over several days, uh, reactions to your videos. How do you feel performing wise, what's your best type of audience response, con- conduct? Um, 
I, I don't necessarily like a rowdy audience, but you know, I grew up in the black church. And so I grew up with a lot of that feedback. And so to have folks who are, you know, they're, they'll yell out when they like something or they'll clap if they, you know, if they get really excited in any given moment. I don't like a whole lot of talking. I don't like that at all. I don't like having to sing over a bunch of ruckus. Don't really like singing outdoors that much, even though I have. There have been some outdoor performances. Good festivals. A yeah. Few, yeah. Saratoga a last year was actually a, you know, a positive experience at a festival. Mm -hmm. But I like an intimate setting, you know, where I feel like my voice is, is coming through and, um, you know, people are, are attentive. I, I it, it really is cool to play gigs like like Tulsa and Nashville, where people come with an expectancy. They already know who you are. They know some of the songs. They're ready to have a good time. They want you to win. You can feel that energy walking in, yeah. you know, and it really, it makes yeah. all the difference. It really does, which is mm -hmm. one reason why I'm like, it would be really cool if we could have an audience that was like freaking half, at least half full of, <laughs> of, of the you people all. who know me from online <laughs> I'm already. all over the place, yeah. subscribers and subscribers on uh, TikTok and, yeah. and Instagram. I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, and then, uh, folks, if you've never been, you should, you know, you've got time to plan for it. Uh, come on up, make a trip of it. Uh, September 11th, Dizzy's Club at Lincoln Center in New York City. You've been in that room once, mm -hmm. twice probably. It's a pretty hip, hip room. Yeah. You know, what are you what are you looking forward to most about making music in that space? It's a unique kind of a setup. Yeah, I mean it's one of New York's premier kind of jazz spaces. I'm just, you know, honored to be able to play in that room where so many legends have played. It's, you know, we're gonna get in there and do what we've always done. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I would love to have a full room of, of people who, uh, who are coming with expectancy, so. One more time, Dara, tell them uh, where they can find the tickets and where they can find you. Yeah, tickets are at the link in my bio on my Instagram or my TikTok or on my website, darastartucker.com. Dara with one R star with two. Um, so you can find, you know, it's not difficult to find to find me out there. If you want to go to Dizzy's website, you can go to their website there in New York. Uh, that's it's within Jazz at Lincoln Center mm -hmm. is where Dizzy's is located. JALC.org is yeah. the website. Jazz at Lincoln Center. And so that's my New York show on 9-11 on of all days. And then we have DC Blues Alley, the legendary club Blues Alley. I'll be performing there on the 15th of October. You can either go to their website or you can go to mine or just click the link in, in my bio on TikTok or Instagram threads or something like that. And, you know, I'll be posting about this stuff, but like get your tickets early because, you know, uh, Philadelphia sold out, what, five days before yep. the gig. So, mm -hmm. you know, don't assume that the tickets will just be available. Exactly. Um, and we want to know, you know, that you're coming. And if you get your tickets, please reach out and let me know. Inbox me on Instagram. Tell me, hey, I'm coming to your show. And please come up and, and say hi if, if you come out to a show. That sounds like a plan. I'm going to be there. Um, beat me there. Don't meet me there. Beat me there. I'm Greg Bryant. <laughs> I'm Dara Star Tucker. And thank you all so much for joining us for the I'm All Over the Place podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.